Good morning. Has your mother never told you to get out and get sunshine? Good Lord. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. I, I, the, the media meltdown over the president's question yesterday. Even Lysol felt the need to release a statement saying, please don't inject Lysol into your veins. Uh, you know, I, I was having a, um, it had an email exchange this morning, uh, with the, uh, folks up in, in Habersham County at uh, WCHM and <laughs> yes, my show writes itself today. Easy show prep today. Good gracious. All right. All right. All right. Uh, let me, let me give you the audio here to begin with, uh, so that you have a, a sense of it so that you understand. I wasn't even going to start the show with this. And then I started doing show prep this morning. I thought I can put this off a little while. And then I started doing show prep. The New York Times, don't drink bleach. The LA Times, don't drink bleach. The <laughs> Washington Post, the president suggests swallowing a tanning salon. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you would think that the president would suddenly be supportive of Georgia reopening if the tanning salons would be open so you get that UV light. Good gracious. Okay, let, let me let me let me set the stage here. We begin with uh, Phil Bryan of the uh, Department of Health and Human Services giving a briefing to reporters yesterday. It turns out that uh, sunlight and disinfectant can kill a virus. Uh, surprise! I, I I don't know if you even knew that that sunlight and disinfectant could kill the virus. This this may be new to you. Now, I, I, I distinctly remember when I was a kid, uh, my mother, my grandmother was a nurse and, and would tell us to go outside, get sunlight. Sunlight was good for you, uh, made your bones strong, uh, kept you from getting sick. If you had a cold, you should get a little air, you should get some sunshine, and you would go outside. Likewise, we've been told this whole time, hand sanitizer. We've been told disinfectant. We've been told to wipe down counters. We've been told disinfectant kills the virus. This isn't new stuff. I mean, this isn't even recent stuff. And guess what? The Department of Health and Human Services, the scientists have been experimenting on the coronavirus. Our most striking observation to date is the powerful effect that solar light appears to have on killing the virus, both surfaces and in the air. We've seen a similar effect with both temperature and humidity as well, where increasing the temperature and humidity or both is generally less favorable to the virus. So let me illustrate with this first slide. If you look to the right, you'll see that term half-life with a bunch of timestamps on there. Uh, first, let me tell you what a half-life is. We don't measure the virus as far as how long will it live on a surface. We have to measure the decay of the virus in terms of its half-life because we, we, we don't know certain elements. We don't know how much a person expectorates when he, when he spits right when he sneezes whatever the case may be we don't know how much a virus is in there so it's that that has a, a long a bearing on how long the virus is going to be alive and active so we measure it in half-life because half-life doesn't change so if you look at an 18-hour half-life what you're basically saying is that every 18 hours the virus the life of the virus is cut in half so if you start with a thousand particles of the virus in 18 hours you're down to 500 in 18 hours after that you're down to 250 and so on and so forth that's important as i explain the rest of the chart if you look at the first three lines, when you see the word surface, we're talking about non-porous surfaces, door handles, stainless steel. And if you look at the, as the temperature increases, and as the humidity increases, with no sun involved, you can see how drastically the half-life goes down on that virus. So the, the virus is dying at a much more rapid pace, just from exposure to higher temperatures, and just from exposure to humidity. 
If you look at the fourth line, uh, you inject summer, the sunlight into that, you inject UV rays into that, the same effects on line two at 70 to 75 degrees with 80% humidity on the surface, and look at line four, but now you inject the sun, the half-life goes from six hours to two minutes. That's how much of an impact the UV rays has on the virus. Surprise! Did you did, did you not know this? I, I mean, and, and listen, I'm not disparaging Phil Bryan for the Department of, of Health and Human Services, but reporters were treating this as if they had never heard this. Uh, how could this be? Well, the president, after this presentation was over, <laughs> y'all, I heard this last night. <clears throat> I heard this last night. And I literally, you could, you could see the moment the president said it. Cause all I did is I tweeted, Oh boy. <laughs> And I actually, I deleted the first thing that I tweeted. I I, I deleted what I was going to tweet because it had bad words. I thought, oh, I'm going to get a note from various preachers who follow me on Twitter if I tweet that one. He asked it. Okay, if you haven't heard him ask it, let me let me let the <laughs> let me let the president, in his own words, say it. So I asked Bill a question that probably some. Uh oh, where'd it go? Some of you are thinking of if you're totally into that world, which I find to be very interesting. So supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills it in one minute, that's uh, that's pretty powerful. So, OK, so it, the president, the president says. The, the president says that, uh, OK, so disinfectant works. We, we should we should we should try to figure out a way to to. Uh, inject, get disinfectant into people's bodies or, or UV rays through the skin, or I mean, the president's clearly in, into tanning, uh, or, or, or I mean, swallow a light bulb, what? I, I don't know. But the, the, to be clear here, the president of the United States was not telling people to drink bleach. I mean, we've already got a generation that swallows Tide Pods without prompting. Uh, so I get the media concern there, but the president was not suggesting. He was asking a question, saying this needs to be researched. Well, Jonathan Carl. But, uh, the president mentioned the idea of cleaners, the bleach and isopropyl alcohol you mentioned. Uh, there's no scenario that that could be injected into a person, is there? I mean, no, I'm, I'm here to talk about the finds that we had in the study. We don't do that within that lab at our labs. So, 
Uh, so the, the media, of course, going nuts here. Sanjay Gupta on CNN last night. Um, I, I mean, again, I, I'm going to leave it up to you, too. But it just seems wildly irresponsible for the president of the United States to be musing out loud about people injecting disinfectant, uh, uh, you know, used bleach and other... doing anything with that internally it just doctors right. what, what do you make of it and he also said it you know it needs to be studied actually it doesn't i mean we, we we know the answer to this one you know i mean there's a lot of things out there that we don't know the answers to and we need to investigate but the idea that we would do a trial of some sort and inject some people with disinfectant and some people not and see what happens i mean as you point out i think i think everybody would know that that would be dangerous and and counterproductive and, and not at all moving us in the right direction I um, okay, Let, let's, let's go back to the president's question, and I want to slow walk you through it, if you will. So I asked Bill a question that probably some of you are thinking of if you're totally into that world, which I find to be very interesting. The president as every man. So supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. What about putting him in a tanning bed? And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. So, so it hasn't been checked. It hasn't been checked, people. The president just said it hasn't been checked, and they're going to test it. The experts are going to test it. He, I, there, there's, there has not been a statement from the president there saying, go out and do this. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that too. So, so they're they're testing that to figure out if it's possible. Not not that you should do it. Sounds interesting. It sounds interesting. It's untried and untested. Right, and then I see the disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that? Is there a way that we can disinfect a body uh, by injection, injection. inside or? or almost a cleaning because you see it gets on the lungs cleaning. and it does a tremendous number of the lungs so it'd be interesting to check that so that you have to, to use check. medical doctors with but it sounds it sounds interesting to me medical doctors he name checks to, to see if medical doctors would check this so he's not talking about you this is the problem with the media here yes what what, what if you're a, a person of of normal common sense is this a question you would probably not to be fair, I have in my house, I, I, I use a company called Peachtree Service Experts. They came down to my house and they put into my air conditioning units upstairs and downstairs a UV light filter. As air conditioning passes through, as the air passes through this filter, the very bright UV light bulbs that are in this thing kill the molds, the bacteria, the viruses, the spores cleans the air. And you know, we, we've actually seen real world uh, benefit of this. Uh, we have an air intake upstairs that is outside our kid's bathroom. And in both of the kids' rooms, the air, it, the, the kids' rooms are on either side of this thing. Um, and the air intake, the air blowing into their room, you can tell there's been a mildewy buildup. And we presume it is because the air intake is shucky, sucking the moisture out of the shower when the kids take a shower. And it's getting milk. Gone. The UV, I, I I was skeptical of these things. We decided to put it in because uh, my son has really bad allergies. I was skeptical of it. It works. It, it totally works. I did not believe it would work. It works. 
Uh, yeah, I, I paid. Yes, I paid the money, not knowing that it would work um, because uh, family insistence. You you do these things. If you're dad, you get it. And it works. It, it is a UV. It is basically a tube that the, all the air flows through. It gets hit with really bright UV light and it wipes out everything. We are not having the mold mildew problem that we were having. They, they, they work better than the air filters. They work in conjunction with the air filters. So I know this stuff. But let's be clear here. You don't want to inject bleach into your body. You don't want to inject bleach into your body. But let's also be clear here. I've played you the audio twice. Nowhere in the audio does the President of the United States suggest drinking bleach. Nowhere in the audio does the President suggest swallowing a UV light source. Nowhere in the audio does the president recommend home trials for this. Nowhere in the audio does the president of the United States suggest everybody should do it. No, what the president does is he says that they're going to look into it. They're, they're going to test it. He, he knows that the people in the crowd probably have that question. And don't worry, you don't have to ask that question because he's already asked the question. And here's what they told him. You know, I, I, I see a reporter on Twitter saying that, uh, well, this is just proof he wasn't actually in the briefing. Um, I, I, I it, it's, I, y'all, I got, I got nothing. I'm, I'm discombobulated with the, with the, with the media here. What a, what a bizarre, what a bizarre thing. I'm. Excuse me. I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm still all hung up on on the media reaction to this because it, it seems so innocent. And and if Barack Obama were there, you and I both know. Now they'll say, well, he would have never asked these questions. No, no. He 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 was notorious for asking these questions to make himself look smart during press briefings. And, oh, he's such a genius. Can I have his baby? I mean, you, you'd have the men in the press room saying that. And he, the president asked the question. Okay. Do I think the question was, yes, come on now. I, I, I think it was a silly thing. I do. I, I, I'm, I'm not the, the, the brightest bulb in the, in, in the store, but I know enough to know um, there's, there, there, you know, there, there are these filter things, but, and there are tanning beds, but nah, you're not going to get UV penetration into someone's lungs to to get them unless they swallow a light bulb and and that's not going to work you're going to sunburn their lungs and that's going to make the situation worse uh, and you're not going to inject bleach or or inhale lysol that's it's it's not going to do you any good to inhale the lysol but he never said that he, he I, I i'm used to this president saying things that are kind of off the wall and everybody else is too but he never, uh, unlike, I mean, just contrast this with the hydroxychloroquine thing where the president said repeatedly that he, it looks like it anecdotally. It looks like it. It looks like it's good. It looks like it's working. It looks like it's good. He never suggested anyone go out and buy it themselves. You got a prescription. You got to go through your doctor. He was trying to make get people aware. And, and here's the other thing. Anyone who knows anything about this president's speaking style understands this is the president trying to offer up some hope. 
the media doesn't like the way the president wanted to offer up the hope, but it was the president offering up hope. That, that's all it was. That's all it was, is offering hope to people. And they're going to condemn him for it. They're going to accuse him. And, and isn't the underlying situation here that they think you people are stupid? They think you're so stupid, you're going to go do this. I mean, that's got to be the underlying premise because who's going to go inject bleach into their body? Who's going to go do it? There may be some Democrat partisan out there today who decides they're going to go on and die by injecting bleach and make sure everybody knows that they're doing it because the president did it so the media can have a headline, man kills himself listening to the president. Never mind it was a Democratic partisan uh, using his death to make the president look bad. That might happen. But regular Joe out there, he's regular Joe is not going out there to inject himself with bleach. It's just a stupid story. And it is a stupid story that I've got to start the show with to, to push back on the stupidity of the media. Not on and not on the president's stupidity, not on the question from the president, not on anything related to the president, but on the media. Did the president suggest that the doctors, the scientists, should experiment on flooding the body with UV rays. He absolutely did. I have played you the audio twice. Did the president suggest they should medically test injecting people with disinfectant? Yes, he did. I played you the audio. Did the president suggest that you should do it? No. No, he didn't. In fact, he made clear, the doctors need to test it. <sighs> the media is doing their best to destroy their own credibility. The media is doing their best President. And I really, really think that the media believes as long as they try to twist everything on the president and turn his words against him, that they're actually helping Joe Biden. I, I, I really believe they think that they're helping Joe Biden by doing these sorts of things. They have become la resistance. They want to they want to do what they can for Biden. They know that their news networks are not going to stop covering these press conferences. Why? Because they're they're a rating success. They are. The president's press conferences are actually helping the president in 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 uh, getting eyeballs. These are his new campaign rallies. And so the way to push back for the media is to twist in real time his words and try to embarrass him with his words by distorting the things he said. I just, I, 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 I think it's silly. I think it's, it, it, it is a, a genuinely silly thing. And that we're going to just get more of it. And it's going to aggravate me more. You know, I, I, I joke with Charlie, my producer, that I could do every day, I could do this show and base it on uh, the nonsense in the media. We, we could do an entire three-hour show every day of the week, including Saturday and Sunday, and just make it based on the stupid, spiteful stuff that happens in the media. 
Uh, okay. When we come back, we need to go on. That there's an antibody test in New York City that's raising eyebrows. And now the pushback from New York, they haven't actually released the test overall. We need to talk about that because I'm getting a lot of questions about it. And I got some answers for you when we come back. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. And you know you can call in. I, I, I've had my tirade on whether or not to drink bleach. You can call in now. 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Them's the numbers. I want to go into this uh, antibody study in New York City. Let me see if I can pull up uh, Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo Twitter. I should have pulled this up before. I'm a professional. I can do it quickly, assuming my internet works. The internet is getting very glitchy today. All sorts of people, I guess, have decided to give up working today and live stream Netflix. Uh, here we go. Um, there is a Andrew Cuomo tweeted this out. Let me read you his tweets. New. The first phase of results from a statewide antibody study are in. We collected approximately 3,000 antibody samples from 40 locations in 19 counties. Preliminary estimates show a 13.9% infection rate. The percent positive by region, Long Island 16.7, New York City 21.2, Westchester Rockland 11.7, rest of the state 3.6. Weighted results. Percent positive by demographic, uh, female 12%, male 15.9%. Asian, 11.7%, Black, 22.1%, Latino, Hispanic, 22.5%, multi-ethnic, 22.8%, White, 9.1% weighted results. The the implication here is that about 13 to 14% of people in New York City got the virus. Way more than is advertised. And that's actually really good news. The reason it's really good news is if you were to extrapolate all of this stuff out, uh, you actually do have a mortality rate less than 1%. And you do have an infection rate. This, This very much does look more and more like the flu. And for months, the experts have been saying otherwise. I have been conveying to you what the experts have said that this is worse than the flu, the mortality rate, even Dr. Fauci said probably about 1%, not the 3 to 5%, uh, but this would suggest the mortality rate is actually way less than that. Uh, we know in real-world sampling that this isn't, that there's something wrong here. And the reason we know there's something in, in real-world wrong here is because of the death rate in New York City just based on confirmed positive cases. In confirmed positive cases, the mortality rate is in New York City uh, astronomical compared to the flu. More people have died in a week who tested positive of COVID-19 than all of the people in New York City last year who tested positive of or were presumed to have the flu. So just in positive tests of COVID-19 where people died in a week in New York City, then last year all the people who were either tested positive of the flu or were presumed to have the flu. So we know that there is a, we know there's a problem and we know there's something up with the data, but still, even if we're skeptical of the data, it's good news because there is an ongoing pattern of studies. And the study in in, uh, Northern California and Southern California, the two in Boston and now this one, suggest the virus is way more prevalent than we thought. 
And if it's way more prevalent than we thought, many more people got it and didn't even know they had it, and that's good. And many more people survived than died, and that's good. There is one note, though, this morning. Uh, there, Well, actually, there are several notes. First of all, first of all, if this is true, then this really is a flu-like illness. So we need to ask ourselves then why people aren't being over, why, why hospitals don't get overwhelmed in the same way with the flu. And we need to ask ourselves why people who test positive from this have a higher rate of mortality than people who test positive of the flu. We got to ask ourselves those questions. But there's also this, New York has not actually released the findings. The, the governor tweeted out the initial findings, but they haven't actually released the report. And now uh, it, New York's health commissioner, not the idiot woman who told people to hang out on the subway, but actual New York's health commissioner who was telling people to, to go to Chinatown and everything was going to be okay. <laughs> um, uh, New York's health commissioner put out a tweet this morning. He said, hold up. There are some problems here. This test has very high false positives meaning a lot of people tested positive who shouldn't have tested positive. It also has very high false negatives, meaning people who should have tested positive tested negative. Now, a friend of mine says you can do a mathematical extraction based on the percentage of false positive and the percentage of false negatives and, and get a sense. Um, I don't know that they've done that. We haven't seen the, the full study yet. This is all initial data. We don't know that they did that. That does make sense to me. So in other words, you can't use the antibody test to tell whether an individual person had or did not have the virus. But if you know that this antibody test delivers a 20% false positive rate and a 20% false negative rate, then you can assume that 20% of the people who tested negative had it and 20% of the people who tested positive didn't have it. But there's something else here as well uh, that the New York's Commissioner on Health is pointing out. The antibody test tests positive, not just falsely, but also for other viruses. So the antibody test for COVID-19 might trigger a positive test for someone who's had another coronavirus or for the common cold. So there's hope and there's a clear pattern. It actually is a clear pattern. Uh, we've now got a, a Northern California test, a Southern California test, two tests in Boston, one in co the community, one in, in a homeless community, and now a massive one in New York City. And they're all showing the same thing. The virus is more widespread. The question is how much more widespread is it? And this is the other one that, that people are, are ignoring. We know that last year, And I'm trying to go slow here so you understand this because I realize there's a lot of data. I'm not trying to bore you either. Don't be bored by this. You'll, you'll be more educated than your neighbor. We know that last year in the United States, I, I shouldn't say last year, in the 2018-2019 flu season, in the 2018-2019 flu season, that goes from roughly October to April, May-ish. Um, October to April is the best way to think of it. So from October to April in 2018-2019, 7,000 people who tested positive for the flu 
died. And we do way more flu tests than we do COVID-19 tests. And only 7,000 of the people who tested positive for the flu died. We're over 40,000 people in eight weeks dying from COVID-19. Why is it that people who have confirmed tests of one die so much more in eight weeks than people who have the other? If we suggest that there is a widespread, and again, more people get the flu test each year than this. So there is a disproportionate nature here that still suggests COVID-19 is, is much worse than the flu, even as, as it seems to be as widespread as the flu. So more people with a positive test. Die. Now, I, I can tell you what's going to happen. There are going to be conspiracy theorists out there who suggest that it is the test that's causing people to die. You and I both know that's going to happen, that people are go going to causation and correlation. Oh, more people do this. Therefore, we must, we must uh, be killing people by giving them the test. Uh, uh, mm, I'm, I'm not sure. We, we've got we to gotta figure out what's going on, and there's so much we don't know. Let, 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 let's go into some of the things we don't know, for example. So, so let, let's focus on the actual facts because there are a lot of facts we don't know. The, the trend lines are actually very good that this, this virus is actually more widespread than we know, which would bring down hospitalization rates. It would bring down, um, it would bring down mortality rates. Those are all good things. We do need to know these things. But, for example, loss of smell. If you wake up and realize you can't smell your coffee in the morning, you probably need to go get tested for COVID-19. That is one of the key indicators that something's happening. In fact, there's a report out today that the people with the worst COVID-19 symptoms don't actually get fever. But most of them lose their sense of smell. That's stuff we did not know a month ago. We now know in the last few weeks, we know that people who get COVID-19 have weird clotting problems. You can be on blood thinner and still clot. I am on blood thinners. I had clots in my lungs several years ago. And then more came back. And so I'm on blood thinner right now. Probably will be for the rest of my life. I'm on Xarelto, thankfully, not the, not the rat poison. But apparently, I could get blood clots, even though I'm on blood thinner from COVID-19. We did not know that three weeks ago. Turns out in the last week, in a comprehensive review, liver permanent liver and kidney damage is possible from COVID-19. Again, we didn't know that last year. Now, next. Now, next. We did not know that you could have long-term lung problems from COVID-19. We knew people could have lung problems. We did not know people could have permanent lung problems. That as well is something we did not know. We assumed lungs would heal, but now we're learning that COVID-19, we, now let's be, let's be careful here. Let, let me be careful. We know, for example, that COVID-19 can give you pneumonia, and pneumonia can cause lung, permanent lung scarring. We knew that. But what we did not know 
is that COVID-19, in addition to the pneumatic, pneumonia-like scarring, we could actually have additional scarring from COVID-19 that is separate and apart from pneumonia. That's something new. So loss of smell is something we've learned in the last month. Clotting is something we've learned in the last month. Heart damage is something we have learned in the last two months. Uh, in fact, that that's the number one cause of, of death from COVID-19 is not suffocation of your lungs filling up. It's actually heart damage. It's actually a heart attack uh, because your blood oxygen level drops so much you get a heart attack. In fact, an overwhelming number of people who leave the hospital and are cleared fall over dead within a week of a heart attack. That's something we didn't know three months ago, but in the last two months we figured out. And then there's the liver damage and the kidney damage. There, there's the lung, there's the permanent lung damage in non-pneumonia-like ways. None of these things we knew a month ago. So there's clearly a lot about this we don't know. And so it's clearly incumbent on us to keep learning as much as we possibly can. So I'm encouraged. I am encouraged by all of the studies showing us that the virus is more widespread you you may hear that as a bad thing. What do you mean this virus is more widespread? But if the virus is more widespread, that means that the hospital rate is less than 20%. That means that the mortality rate is less than 5%, 3% in the United States, 4% in Georgia. But we also now know, and I was talking to a, to a, an, a guy yesterday who would know this, I can't tell you who I was talking to, I'm afraid. But he said, if you have a positive blood type, you're more likely to get the virus, and they don't know why. If you're a minority, you're more likely to get the virus, and they don't know if it's community behavior or if there's there's some genetic issue. And by community behavior, you, you know, for all the, the talk about evangelical churches not closing, it's black churches across the country that are the ones that have uh, most likely are most likely to stay open and the black community is disproportionately affected. Is there causation correlation there that they haven't figured that out yet? They're thinking there's actually a genetic issue, not a community spread issue. So we don't know a lot of stuff. Only yesterday did we learn at this White House briefing that heat really does have an impact on the virus. That that's an, was an open question until yesterday. We're also learning that isopropyl alcohol kills the virus in 30 seconds and bleach, it takes up to five minutes. That's something we learned yesterday. All of this stuff is new. So when study after study after study after study after study, the five studies come out and say it looks like there's more widespread community spread, even though there are flaws, even though the antibody testing is flawed, we should say, hooray, this is good news. It means the virus isn't as deadly as we thought. But we still have to be careful. We still have to be careful because there's so much we don't know about the virus. In fact, we also know, and this is new in the last week, it appears that the Europeans have a strain of COVID-19 that's actually more deadly than the one in the United States. That's the latest speculation that the virus has mutated in different ways in different countries and they don't know why. There's so much we don't know, but there's reason to be optimistic. We shouldn't be scared by it, but we should also understand let's still not overplay or underplay this. Let's keep with the facts instead of the speculation as best we can. All right. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to go to Chris calling from the great, fine city of Warner Robins that will not stop growing. 
Hey, Chris. Hello. Hi there. Hello. This is Cliff, actually. <laughs> oh, Cliff. Uh, I'm sorry. My call screener, no I will problem. flog him after this is over. He wrote Chris. Yeah, you Give him a good flogging. All right. <laughs> I was just calling to say, uh, as we know, I, I got a couple points. One is I'm over 65, so the we almost have to run from getting a flu shot when you go to the doctor's office. So that automatically helps prevent death at high rates in our country now. That's what we're striving for in this COVID thing is get the seniors especially up to speed on that. Second point is, I talked to my daughter at length yesterday. She's an RN, and so is her husband, and uh, I'm here in middle of Georgia. And she's saying that, you know, they're having people coming in that have been dying, you know, got a bad heart like my daddy did when he died of congestive heart failure. But if they test them and they got a little bit of COVID too, they're listing that as a COVID-19 death when it was truly a heart death. <laughs> And uh, But my point to her was, especially if these people don't have insurance, they're getting paid for claiming it of COVID. She said $35,000 to go into ICU. And I said, well, that's getting more than if they're uh, uh, homeless or whatever and don't have any insurance. So yeah, you know, Cliff, I'm glad you said that because this is, that, a, <laughs> this is a, a real problem that we're going to have moving forward is because hospitals are under the CARES Act going to get more money if they have either primary or secondary uh, COVID-19 coding. Now, what that means is that if someone comes in, uh, they have a gunshot, they get tested for COVID-19, they're hemorrhaging from a gunshot. If the hospital says they also had COVID-19, even though they died of the gunshot wound, they're going to get extra funding from the federal government. They shouldn't have done that because it is probably going to make hospitals inflate things. But uh, I, I have a reason for the heart one because this is the one that comes up the most. People, they got a heart attack, but they had COVID-19. They're listing COVID-19 as the primary cause, not the heart attack, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Uh, there, there, there is a, there's a, a real issue with COVID-19 in the heart, and that's why they're doing it. it it's not, I hope everyone will understand this, that, that it's not hospitals trying to milk the system. They've been doing this now for a couple of months. And the reason that they've been doing it for a couple of months goes back to what I was saying before the break. The number one cause of death from COVID-19 is a heart attack. And I know there will be some of you out there because I can feel it in the force right now saying, well, well, because they're coding everybody as COVID-19 when they die of a heart attack. No, uh, here's what happens. It, it, it's it's gruesome, actually, and I, I've been hesitant to describe it because I know there are kids listening. What happens is your lungs, which are very much like have the consistency of whipped cream, they begin to harden into the texture of a marshmallow. And as COVID-19 progresses, your lungs go from being uh, the consistency of whipped cream to the consistency of a marshmallow to the consistency of a stale marshmallow. And oxygen cannot then get through into your blood. And your body slowly begins to starve itself of oxygen. You begin to suffocate. Now, you get better. And your heart has been damaged by COVID-19 because your lungs have filled with fluid and you've been slowly drowning in pus in your lungs. They have 
cleared it up. Your lungs have scars. There are some parts of it still still hard, but you no longer test positive. Your breathing has come back. This is one of the weird things. They haven't figured out the disease. They have people with 50% blood oxygenation, which should be fatal, who are up walking around fine, not even out of breath. They don't know why. But they clear you. You go home from the hospital, and within a week, you drop dead of a heart attack. They're coding that as COVID-19 because that is a pattern because of the thousands and thousands of people who have died around the world, about half of them have died of a heart attack due to heart damage from oxygen deprivation due to the virus. And so that's being coded as a COVID-19 death. That's that's why so many people who are having heart attacks are coded that way. I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, the way you die from COVID-19 in most cases is not that you drown in your own pus, which is the second most likely reason you die. Your lungs fill up with pus and you die. It's because your body's heart is broken because of the virus and you have a heart attack and die. It's great to have a sponsor of the program that I don't even have to read a script for anything. You know, they send scripts, but I don't have to have one with Quip because Quip is my toothbrush. It's my wife's toothbrush. It's my daughter's toothbrush. It's now my son's toothbrush. We are a 100% Quip household in our family. And I will tell you why, because with some of those vibrating, fancy doodad toothbrushes. They're super expensive. You have to take a charger with you. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, the, the brush head size is so big and poorly designed, it doesn't fit in the back of your mouth, so you can't get the back of your mouth and the teeth clean. With the Quip, it is well-designed. You can tell that it's designed by dentists and designers working collaboratively. It's a great toothbrush. If you don't know what the Quip is, it's a battery-powered toothbrush where every three months they send you a new brush head for just five bucks. So you brush head stays, stays clean and in shape. You get a new battery. It's a AAA battery that it works with. And here's the cool thing. It vibrates great to clean your teeth. And every 30 seconds, it pulses so you know to change position in your mouth. And after two minutes, after you've got the dentist recommended two-minute brushing, it turns itself off. So you don't have to worry about it. There's no fancy charger to carry around or keep up with. You just your toothbrush. And it comes with a great uh, little travel pouch you can put it in. Uh, it's, it's just, it's a great design toothbrush. I've used mine for so long. Every time I go to my orthodontist now, I, I have braces. And every time I go to my dentist, he wants to know if I'm using teeth whitener. And I'm not. I'm just using my Quip twice a day for two minutes, just like dentists recommend. It is fantastic. It is such a great design. Listen, this sponsor live read is taking longer than it should because I actually do really like my Quip toothbrush. It is the best toothbrush I've ever had, and I hope you'll agree. You can go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now and get your first brush head refill pack for free with your Quip. That's right. Your first brush head refill pack is free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson, it's get, G-E-T, QUIP.com slash Erickson. It is the Good Habits Company and it is a great toothbrush. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Have you injected your bleach yet? <laughs> the media. Uh, and yeah, I'm getting reporters who are very upset with me for saying this really wasn't a big deal. Uh, well, maybe I'll get into that. Welcome. The phone number here, if you'd like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. No, I did not hear the president say you should inject bleach. Uh, I, I really did not. And yet some reporters did. Real quick, this is really, really important, actually. The federal government is going to add more money to the payroll protection program. You need to, if you need it and didn't get it last time, get your application in. 
Uh, reach out to the folks at First Liberty Building and Loan here in Georgia, the Frost family. They're really good people, uh, good Christian family. Uh, they're sponsors of the program, and uh, they're actually personal friends. Uh, Brant, uh, the fourth Brant, the fifth Katie, they're, they're just super people. And they want to help you. They've beefed up their staff, the, their computers, everything to try to get you in. They cannot guarantee it. No bank can guarantee you getting into PPP. But what we are finding is that the smaller local banks and in, uh, lending institutions are having a better success rate at getting people in. So if you need to get into PPP, go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. I want to mention this throughout the show today because it's that important. Um, firstlibertyga.com is their website. And you will see an apply now button at the top of the site. Don't even bother calling. Just go to firstlibertyga.com, click the apply now button and fill out the form online. It is that important. Uh, you need to rush through and get it as quickly as you can get your application in so they can get you in the front door. The moment the president signs the legislation, the funding transfers, uh, people are going to be getting in. So go on, get ready, firstlibertyga.com. Uh, thanks to them for sponsoring. That's not my por point in doing it. I'll get into the VP pro program later. It's just uh, you do need to be made aware of this. Now, uh, the president threw the governor under the bus again yesterday. I'm not going to actually get into his second round audio of condemning the governor for doing this. I want to get into this sto st um, story from the Associated Press. President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence repeatedly told Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia that they approved of his aggressive plan to allow businesses to reopen just a day before Trump pulled an about face and publicly bashed the plan, according to two administration officials. The green light from Pence and Trump came in separate private conversations with the Republican governor, both before Kemp announced his plan to ease coronavirus restrictions and after it was unveiled on Monday, the officials said. Trump's sudden shift came only after top health advisors reviewed the plan more closely and persuaded the president that Kemp was risking further spread of the virus by moving too quickly. I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities, Trump said Wednesday, just a day after telling reporters that he trusted Kemp's judgment. He knows what he's doing, the president said. On Thursday, he was even harder on the governor. I wasn't happy with Brian Kemp. I wasn't happy at all. The extraordinary reversal and public criticism of a GOP ally is only the latest in a series of contradictory and confusing messages from the president on how and when he believes governors should ease stay-at-home orders intended to stop the spread of the deadly virus. It demonstrates the political risk for governors in following the unpredictable president's guidance. Trump has been urging states to begin reopening for two weeks, believing that certain portions of the country are now ready to resume aspects of normal life, even against the recommendations of many of his own, own health experts. Even though few states have met the benchmarks established by the White House, the president has cheered on efforts to liberate some states and has offered encouragement to the states that announced plans to forge forward. Kemp was among the first Republican governors to take the cue. His order, announced Monday, allows businesses like gyms, tattoo parlors, and bowling alleys to open on Friday under certain restrictions. That would be today. When asked Tuesday about Kemp's decision, Trump supported the governor, saying he's a very capable man. He knows what he's doing. He's done a good job as a governor. Behind the scenes, the administration had also been supportive. The president spoke to Kemp more than once about the plan, and both Trump and and Vice President Mike Pence called Kemp on Tuesday to praise his performance as governor and his plan to reopen, 
according to two administration officials who spoke on conditions of anonymity because they were not authorized to publicly discuss the conversations. But on Wednesday, members of the White House's virus task force revisited the plan and felt it was too soon and would be difficult to defend in that afternoon's press briefing. Dr. Deborah Burks, who helped lead the White House's coronavirus response, then spoke to the president after the meeting and suggested it was too soon to reopen Georgia, an assertion with which the president agreed, according to the official. Trump then called Kemp and asked Kemp to slow down his plan, to which the governor said no, said the official. The governor suggested the two men continue the discussion on another call, but they did not speak again before the briefing in which Trump said he opposed some of the particulars of the plan to reopen. Trump noted that Kemp's reopening violated the White House guidelines and suggested he would intervene if he saw something totally egregious. On Thursday, he suggested he was particularly concerned by the idea that Kemp would reopen spas. I want the states to open more than he does, much more than he does, but I didn't like to see spas at this early stage, nor did the doctors. Trump acknowledged he consult his health, consulted his health experts, Burks and Dr. Anthony Fauci, and considered trying to block the proposal. But I decided, and we all agreed, you've got to watch it closely. We'll see what happened. Now, the reality is he doesn't have the power to stop it. The governor thinks he's on the right path. I will tell you that the... Trend lines on Monday and Tuesday buttressed the governor's findings that we were below the rate of tra- a rate of transmission of one. Uh, yesterday, given some of the data that came in, I, I I I hope I explained on Tuesday and Wednesday what rate of transmission is. So essentially, your rate of transmission needs to be below one. If the virus rate of transmission is below a factor of one, then the virus will stop spreading. If the virus is above one, the virus will produce. The metric RT represents the effective reproduction rate of a virus calculated. It lets you estimate how many secondary infections are likely to incur occur from a single infection in a specific spot. Values over one mean we expect more cases. The higher above one, the more quickly the virus will spread. Values below one mean the virus cannot spread in the community. The further below one, the more quickly the virus has stopped spreading and will die out. When the governor opened the state on Monday and, tu- and, and then into Tuesday, as he made his announcement, the rate of transmission in Georgia was 0.6. Yesterday, because of some of the incoming data, the viral rate was above one. It was at 1.06. Today, I'm checking right now, there's a website, rt.live, where you can check. And at rt.live, uh, Georgia's rate is back down to a one which is still not great. The adjusted sampling shows that actually that they had to change and it wasn't really above one uh, or was it really below one at all with some of the new data that came in. Uh, it may have fallen to 0.99, uh, but otherwise it's about one. So, so it is flatlined. That means it can still spread in the community. It has not declined in the community. So Georgia is right on the cusp of being able to reopen. The data does suggest that there will be viral spread 
when we reopen. Let me give you the metric numbers right now. There are 21,883 cases in Georgia. 4,153 people are hospitalized. 8,821 are dead. But let me be more precise. There have been 21,883 total cases. There have been a total of 4,153 people hospitalized. And there have there is, are 881 people dead. The... Hospitalization rate is cumulative, meaning there may only be 100 people in the hospital right now with the coronavirus, but total in the last two months, there have been 4,154. There may only be 23 new cases today, and there may be only 500 people in Georgia with the virus right now, but total there have been 21,883 people infected. This is an important thing to remember. Let me give you the data here now. And again, if you want to see the data for yourself, you don't have to believe me. You can see it for yourself. You go to, uh, you text the word data to 33777. Text the word data to 33777. Uh, on April 14th, that was the high day. That was the highest day, single day of, of infection reports. 843 people infected. On the 15th, 704. On the 16th, 761. On the 17th, 640. On the 18th, 334. On the 19th, 448. On the 20th, 523. On the 21st, 345. On the 22nd, 72. On the 23rd, 30. Today, let's see, what is today? We don't have today's numbers yet. So there has been a fall off. Now, those numbers for the last couple of days, uh, 30 on the 23rd, 72 on the 22nd, they'll go up as tests come back from those two days. There could be a 48, 72-hour backlog. Those tests will come in. Those numbers will go up. But the trend lines are actually good. We are we are headed down. The problem is we're getting some spikes. So, for example, on the 17th of April, 640 people were tested positive. And on the 18th of April, 334 people were tested positive. But then on the 19th, 448 people were tested positive. And on the 20th, 523 people. So it went back up. But then on the 21st, it went down again, 345. And on the 22nd to 72. And on the 23rd to 30. Keep in mind, there's a two-week incubation period in some cases for this virus. So that data matters. We're headed in the right direction. The question is, are we there enough? The overwhelming consensus of experts is we're not there yet. And the governor should not have done this. If I were the governor, I would have waited another week and, and spent a lot more time in voter in, in education. One of the problems we have, and, and this play, if you only listen to one thing, there's always in radio, it's a three-hour show. There's always one thing you should listen to. This is the moment. I should have a special tone. Dun, dun, dun. This is, this, is, this is the point you should listen to the program right now, this moment. Remember this. The reason you see big jumps in the data, for example, we had 20,000 yesterday. We have 21,000 today. The reason for the jump is not that 1,000 people have tested positive in the past week or in the past day, or in the past 48 hours. The reason there's a thousand person jump is that there's still a backlog of tests from the beginning of the month that are just coming in. And those get reported out on the same day as all the others. 
that thousand person jump is really a lot of cases where those people don't even have the virus anymore. But the state's obligated to report them. They're doing a terrible job of reading. This is this is why, by the way, I think we should have waited a week to 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 so that the governor could make a more logical presentation of the data. That on a daily basis, here's what we're looking at. You can see the decline. Yes, the overall report shows a spike, but the reason is because of of old data finally coming in. You know, the governor was on with Martha McCallum and she asked him this, uh, and let me play you again. This is the governor with Martha McCallum on Fox News. All right, so, you know, we just watched Dr. Deborah Burks and she was questioned about your plan to reopen on Friday. And she said, you know, that she feels it's incumbent, and I'm paraphrasing, incumbent upon governors such as yourself to be very transparent about the data that you used to make this decision. So can you explain to everyone at home tonight, what is the data that brought you to this conclusion, especially given the fact that the deaths are, are still rising in, in Georgia? What data did you use? Well, I think it's important for people to understand how the data comes in. A lot of the data that we're posting today, the testing or the fatality may have happened, you know, five or six days ago. Ta-da! Actually, longer than that. I don't know if the governor realized that some of the testing is coming in from a couple of weeks ago, not just from a week ago. That's that's the issue, though. That's why you're seeing these large daily numbers, but the actual day-to-day numbers show a decline. That's what people are missing in all of this. That being said, the expert experts, they know this, and they're still saying, it's too soon, Governor Kemp, it's too soon. So did y'all hear about Tom Brady, he's he's already become Florida man. <laughs> so the the Patriots quarterback is now going to Tampa Bay for reasons I can't fathom, and uh, he, he's he went to the the um, to his coach's house yesterday, and the coach lives next door to a guy. That guy's front door was unlocked. Brady got confused. The houses look kind of alike. Uh, and he walked in on the guy. The guy, thankfully, he he, he, he w- was dressed. He was in his kitchen uh, on his cell phone, uh, actually typing on his cell phone when he says Brady came in and had his duffel bag, dropped his duffel bag on the floor, on the floor asked where the coach was. The guy says, who are you? And Brady says, am I in the wrong house? Grabbed his bag and left. <laughs> uh, Brady tweeted out that he, w- he was auditioning for Florida Man. <laughs> you know, it's, he's lucky he didn't get shot. Um, not that sort of neighborhood, though. It, it was the place, I guess, a gated community where you can you can leave your um, <laughs> you can leave your front door unlocked. Uh, but yes, the, the 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 guy had no idea who he was. Only after Brady left did it dawn on him that that was Tom Brady. I, I can't repeat it the way he, he said it. But nonetheless, I, I found that absolutely hysterical. You, you move to Florida and immediately start becoming Florida man. The phone number here, if you want to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Kim in Hampton, Georgia. You're going to be next. Welcome. Hi, Kim. Good morning. How are you? How are you? Good. Hey, I'm in Hampton, and I'm listening on the Habersham uh, streaming online and working Excellent. from my home office. Uh, yeah, it's exciting that I found you online. Um, listen, I'm, I have, I'm a mom and I'm a wife of three uh, first responders, and I want to know about testing. We're talking about opening 
um, up Georgia, but nobody's talking about testing. When is Georgia going to get testing for everybody? I mean, we oh, I can drive to Tennessee right now and get a test for free with no symptoms, no doctor note or whatever. That, you know, so they're working on it, and even the governor has lamented the slow process, which, again, suggests maybe we should have waited another week or two. Uh, Walgreens in Alpharetta is going to start using their drive-through for testing, um, and other pharmacies are coming online with it, but it is a, a painfully slow process. Georgia is actually in the bottom 15 now. They were in the bottom 10, so they actually have made improvements. They've gone up about five points, but still in the bottom 15 out of 50 states in testing, which is not good, and we need more testing, and that's kind of— um, so one of the big reasons in Georgia is because our outbreak began to happen, uh, later than California, Oregon, Washington, and New York and New Jersey. So a lot of the resources for testing capacity were moved there first. Uh, Georgia did not then outlay, uh, expenses for testing kits in the state themselves. Instead, Georgia prioritized buying ventilators, masks, and things like that for hospital workers. Uh, so that put us behind in testing and able to order supplies, order supplies because the, the state supply chain officials decided it was better to buy stuff for the hospital workers than to actually get the testing kits ramped up. And in hindsight, probably a mistake, uh, but that is, that was it. Now, what are they doing to fix it? Well, uh, they are now ordering more testing kits, uh, and they're also cooperating with private businesses. We also in Georgia don't have a very good lab. Let me, uh, Kim, if you're listening here on the WCHM stream up in Habersham County, uh, let me, let me give you this data right here. Cause this, this puts in perspective, one of the problems the state ran into initially. Oh, uh, where is it? If you text data to 33777, you'll see this. Uh, total number of tests. The Georgia uh, Public Health Lab has only tested 6,537 cases. It's been the commercial labs that have tested 94,525 cases. Uh, and the commercial labs are still coming online in Georgia. And again, uh, not to excuse them, and you can say that that they should have done, they should have prioritized testing. But when the state was making allocations for for how to get involved, they they decided to prioritize, and it had a lot to do with the outbreak in Darty County. You, you need to understand so much of the state's response was because of Darty County. Uh, and they needed hospital ventilators. They needed more ICU capacity. They needed more personal protection equipment. They needed more, all of that stuff, and they had to prioritize that over the testing. And the problem is that caused them to get behind on the testing, and now they're having to ramp up on the testing, and they're having to have private companies step in to help them. Thankfully, the private companies are stepping in, and we're day over day, we're improving the capacity, but it's not where we should be. But you do need to, in fairness to the state and the governor, remember that so much of this was in response to what happened in Darty County. That shook up everything in the state. Let me explain that a little more when we come back. All right, all right. Let, let me let me spend a few moments. If you're just, just listening, just tuning in, um, our last caller was asking about testing and why are we lagging behind. And there actually is a reason for part of that. Before we get to any of that, though, I want to thank one of my sponsors, Mrs. Griffin's Barbecue. I had no idea so many of you were fans of it as well. I put a picture up on Instagram, and I, it's just so many people say, oh, this is the only barbecue sauce I use. That's that's heartening to hear, although I'm a little depressed I'm not a trendsetter that, that we've been eating Mrs. Griffin's Barbecue sauce for a while in our house. Now it turns out like 
all sorts of my friends do too, which is great. And and I had nothing to do with it, but, but a lot of you are now buying it and you should, it's a great local Georgia business uh, to support a great barbecue, oldest still commercially produced barbecue sauce in the nation. And it's right here in middle Georgia and they've got it all over Georgia. Check, check out your local grocery store and you can grow to Mrs. Griffins.com their website. You can buy two, get a third one for free. Uh, it's just, it's good barbecue sauce. It's great on everything. Uh, I use it a lot on, on chicken and pork. You know, you take pork chops, brown them, uh, put them in a baking dish, put them in the oven on 275 for two hours with Mrs. Griffith's barbecue sauce. And you got fantastic, easy pulled pork. Um, good, good stuff. Now let me get to what happened in Georgia that affected testing. Georgia got overwhelmed very quickly with a super spreader event. I've mentioned before there was a funeral in Darty County. Uh, that's that's Albany. Uh, it was a black congregation, large funeral, a preacher who was infected and did not know it. And he ultimately wound up, he was asymptomatic. He was highly contagious, but had no symptoms. He ultimately wound up being hospitalized uh, when the symptoms started flaring up. But Darty County, Albany, uh, let, me, let me do, what is the... I'm going to figure this out on the fly. Population of Darty County, Georgia. Uh, the population of Darty County, Georgia is 87,956. 87,956. And in Darty County, Georgia, as of today, there are 1,478 infections. To put this in perspective, in DeKalb or Fulton County, there are a million people and there are 2,436 cases. In Darty County, there are slightly less than 2,000 cases. 1.6% of Darty County, 1.68% of Darty County has COVID-19. Let me let me do this again, make sure I got the math right. There are 1,478 cases. The population is 87,956. Yep, 1.68% of Darty County has COVID-19. And in Fulton County, there is 1.064 million people. In Fulton County, there are 2,436 cases as of right now. There are 1,064,000 people in Fulton County. So that gives you an infection rate of 0.2%. So in Darty County, you got over 1% of the population got COVID-19. And in Fulton County, two-tenths of a percent. And the reason is the super spreader. There have been more deaths in Darty County than any other county in the state. 109 deaths in Darty County. Their hospital system got overwhelmed. Phoebe Putney Memorial Hospital. It's a sizable hospital for Darty County. Not a sizable hospital in uh, terms of an urban area like Atlanta, but for Darty County, sizable hospital. 
There are a lot of outpatient facilities there where you can do outpatient uh, ENT centers where you can do skin cancer surgeries, tonsillectomies. Uh, You've got an outpatient surgical center for plastic surgery down there. You've got an orthopedist center down there where you can do minor things there. Uh, And Darty County got overwhelmed very quickly. But it wasn't just Darty County because Darty County also takes care of Lee County where there are 298 uh, cases in Mitchell County where there are 290 cases. Now, let me put this a little bit more in perspective for you, just so you understand. Uh, in Lee County, Georgia, Lee County is uh, Leesburg. It is the county just north of Albany. It is the essentially the, the uh, as a friend of mine who lived down there once put it, the white suburb of Doherty County. And in Lee County, there are 29,922 people. Um, let's see, am I doing this right? 29,992 times 100. So in Lee County, 1% of the population of that county, roughly, has COVID-19. Mitchell County is the same boat. Mitchell County is just south of Albany. Mitchell County has 290 people or 290 cases. Mitchell County, the population of Mitchell County is 22,192. That's Camilla, Georgia. Camilla. Um, Camilla. So you got Camilla, Albany, and Leesburg. And each of those three counties, 1% of the entire population of each of those counties has COVID-19. Fulton County, which is Atlanta, has two-tenths of 1% of the county has COVID-19. DeKalb County, less than that. Gwinnett County, about a tenth of the of the county. Cobb County, about a tenth of the county. So you've got this massive outbreak in Darty County and the surrounding areas, Mitchell and Lee in particular, and it all came out of a funeral. Preacher, who was a super spreader, was in the funeral. The funeral lasted a long time. After it was over, the preacher hung out with the crowd. He shook hands with people. He visited with people, and he infected a ton of those people. Those people got infected. They didn't have symptoms. They went into their community. They infected even more people. And the virus began to spread. So when you start having all of these people showing up at the hospital within a week of this funeral, two weeks of this funeral, the hospital gets overwhelmed very quickly. And they don't have the capacity to ramp up. And so the state had to take some very decisive quick action. And one of the calculations made by the state was we need to presume that anyone who goes to the hospital down there with flu-like symptoms has COVID-19. And we need to get that hospital extra beds. We need to get that hospital extra ventilators. We need extra tubing. We need extra masks. We need extra gloves. We need extra gowns. We need extra everything. We need extra doctors and we need extra nurses. They called up the Medical Reserve Corps in Georgia and they reassigned doctors and nurses, some of whom who were retired and ready to get back in. They sent them down to Albany, put them in a Holiday Inn Express and put them to work. And they ramped up care in South Georgia. But that came at an expense. They were so focused on mitigating what was happening in Doherty County, the state was relying on the Department of Public to do the testing, and they did not have resources at the time to get people working with the private labs to ramp up testing. It's not to say they weren't doing it altogether, 
The problem was that they were so focused on Darty County, other states were putting in their procurement orders for the swabs and the test kits and everything else, and Georgia was focused on beefing up the hospitals because Georgia knew that if this spread out of Albany, you were going to have overwhelmed hospitals in Tifton, in Macon, in Valdosta, in Albany, uh, beyond Albany. It was going to go over, spill over to Columbus, Bainbridge. All these places that had medical facilities were going to start getting overwhelmed very, very quickly. So while other states were building up testing, Georgia had a critical fallout from a super spreader in Albany and had to spend its time and resources mitigating that by beefing up hospitals, making sure hospitals were supplied. And that changed things. And so now we've got the ongoing cascading effect of that is that Georgia is behind on testing overall. I, I hope that makes sense. That that's that's uh, Kim called in. She's wondering, why haven't we beefed up testing? And I, I wanted to give a detailed explanation because it's not really anybody's fault. When you've got limited staff and limited resources, sometimes you've got to make the difficult decisions. And the difficult decision in this case was that if this gets past Darty County, we're going to have a statewide serious epidemic. And uh, a lot of people are going to be hospitalized and we need to beef up the hospitals first and then worry about testing. The presumption was made, assume everybody who has flu-like symptoms has has COVID-19. Well, then Georgia was ready, and by then, testing kits were in short supply because they'd gone to the other states. So ironically, you know, the irony here is that Georgia probably made the right call. I realize we're behind in testing, but Georgia wound up having more medical resources than a number of other states. So our hospitals have never reached critical breaking points in the ways that others did. When the situation started settling down in Albany, Georgia was able, in fact, the, the governor himself has said, uh, he was on this program when he talked about the National Guard was able to take supplies from Albany. They said, hey, Augusta is now beginning to fester. We need to head over to Augusta with these supplies. And so they took the ones, the excess capacity from South Georgia, moved them to Augusta. And then Carroll County has had a big outbreak. Carroll County, pretty hard hit. 314 people in Carroll County have the virus. They were able to move the supplies over there. And so they've been playing this game where they shuffle resources around the state and it's been working for them. And they've been able to mitigate hospital situations in Georgia while meanwhile up in Floyd County, and Floyd, where's Floyd on the list? Floyd has... Yeah, look at Floyd. Floyd only has 128 cases and eight deaths. Floyd converted a parking deck into a field hospital. They may not have to use it. I don't know that they are using it, but they did it to be on the safe side. So Georgia made a calculation different from a lot of other states, given the situation down in Albany, that we need to beef up hospitals before we beef up testing. Long term, that actually helps us because the governor now believes part of his calculus for saying we can reopen the state is now our hospitals are so beefed up in the state that if it does start spreading again, we should be able to handle the surge. But what are the actual numbers? I gave them to you earlier. Let me, let me give you some of them again. Uh, 70, on the 20th, there were 523 new cases. On the 21st, 345. On the 22nd, only 72 people from the 22nd registered now. And then the 23rd, yesterday, only 30 people. The numbers are headed in the right direction. So I, I hope that lays out, man, that is way more than I intended to spend. I, I, I am exhaustive. What was I supposed to be doing? I was supposed to be talking about Joe. I have spared you. Kim's question in, in Hampton, I spared you having to hear about Joe Biden, which isn't a bad thing. 
We do need to talk about Joe Biden. We do need to talk about PPP as well. Since I spent so long on that, way more than I intended, making you guys smarter, (laughs) I'm going to go on and take a commercial. Time out. And when we come back, we actually need to talk about PPP, the Payroll Protection Program. It is getting more money from Congress today. But there's a problem. It is a foreseeable problem. It is a problem that many economists said would happen. It is a problem I myself on this here radio program a month ago told you would happen. And now it's happening. Are we profits? No. It was just obvious this was going to happen. You can call the program if you like. 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. If you'd like to do that, Um, let's talk about the payroll protection program for real. And a reminder, uh, they are adding more money today. The House is passing it. The Senate has already passed it. The president will sign it. It should be funded by tomorrow, which means they'll start rolling out checks on Monday. You got to get your application in. If you need your application in, if you need to try a second time, go to my friends at firstlibertyga.com. Click the apply button. You can do it online. You don't even have to call them. And they're in Noonan, the Frost family. They're good people. The payroll protection program is helping small businesses, but one of the downsides of it is that it is making life miserable for restaurateurs because as so many have pointed out, it is incentivizing unemployment. Uh, My friend Chip Roy, who is a congressman, a longtime friend of mine and my wife's, has an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today. Let me read you part of this. For the past six weeks, and this is also uh, Emily Williams Knight, uh, who is uh, the CEO of the Texas Restaurant Association. For the past six weeks, we've been on the phone with restaurant owners in cities and towns across Texas. One of us, Mr. Roy, represents the Congressional District home to the most restaurants per capita in the state, employed more than 50,000 Texans. The other, Ms. Knight, runs a trade association for the once thriving Texas restaurant industry, which as of January 1, represents 50,000 restaurants, 1.3 million employees, and $70 billion in revenue. To say restaurants have been devastated by government decisions to close their livelihoods doesn't do it justice. Many restaurants have shed staff and are operating solely on takeout and delivery, which nets owners some 30% less on every order than dining in because of lower check averages and delivery costs, not to mention lost tips for employees. In many cases, restaurants changed their business models overnight and moved to selling bulk retail items to fill gaps in the supply chain and meet new customer needs. We expect 688,000 restaurant jobs in Texas will have been lost By the end of April, restaurants will see a record 70% decline in sales. Some 34% of restaurants have temporarily closed, while 6% expect to close for good in the next 30 days. In the past week, Austin institutions like Threadgills, Magnolia Cafe, Veracruz All Natural, and NXNW Brewery have shut down permanently. Oh, the Magnolia Cafe shut down permanently. Oh, and Threadgills, that's painful. Oh, that's painful. Threadgills and Magnolia Cafe is, is one of my favorite places when I go to Austin. It's open 24 hours. You can go in at 3 o'clock in the morning and hung over and get pancakes. Not that I would know that. Now, here's the problem. A lot of these businesses applied for payroll protection, and they didn't get it because Congress didn't do what it needed to do. 
Uh, it didn't fully fund the program. It only allocated $250 billion because the Democrats wanted crap for all sorts of things that didn't need to happen. Well, the other problem is that because they're paying people, if you get a dollar of unemployment benefits from the state, you'll get $600 from the federal government. So let, let's say you're a, a waitress. You're making $10 an hour. You're working, let's see. Let me see if I can do this. Let, let's, let's see if I can do the math here. Um, you're, I, I'm doing this on the fly. So you're making $10 an hour and you're working, let's say a four hour shift five days a week. You're making $200. Let, let's boost this. You're, you're making $10 an hour and you're working a six hour shift and you're doing it for five days a week. That's 300 bucks. That's, that's 300 bucks for the, you're working a, a five hour shift at a restaurant. You're, you're making 10 bucks an hour. You just made 300 bucks for the week. So your employer gets payroll protection for you and you get 300 bucks from uh, the payroll protection program. So you, you keep your salary. You're budgeted for $300 for a week. You get $300 for the week. But there's a problem. Let's say you go unemployed. Now, you you get unemployment from Texas. So your unemployment, let's say you get half of that. So you get 150 bucks in unemployment from Texas. You get half your salary. I, I don't know what the Texas rate is, so I'm speculating here. Let's say you only get a dollar. Let, let's say you go unemployed in Texas and you make $300 a week as a waitress at the Magnolia Cafe, which is now out of business, and you get 300 bucks a week in your salary from working a five-hour shift at $10 an hour. You get 300 bucks at the end of the week. And then you go unemployed and Texas only pays you a dollar. Well, that sucks. But, but, but the federal government has decided to pay $600 a week in supplement. So you go on, you make $300 a week as a waitress. You go unemployed. You're getting $600 from the federal government in addition to your state unemployment. So even if state unemployment is a dollar, you're getting $601 a week when working, you were making $300 a week. It is predictable to find out what happens. It is predictable to find out. A lot of people, a lot of restaurateurs are finding out that their employees hate their guts for daring to actually get payroll protection. This is from CNBC. This is a restaurant owner who was on CNBC talking about the problem. Well, how many employees do you have and what happened to them? Uh, the employees, uh, you know, again, uh, we furloughed them and then and now we, we have them working back and some of them are still, some of them took unemployment because as you very well know that, you know, the unemployment, if you, I got dishwashers, I got servers that are making $300, they're getting $600 from, from the federal government. And, uh, you know, they're, go, they're going for, for the unemployment. Well, so what does that what does that mean for you? So you've got employees who are making more not working than they would be making working for you. What does that mean for your business going forward? Uh, well, when when we're ready to get open up, when they you know say hey, it's time to open up, we'll be able to call them and and they'll be off that unemployment and they'll be working back for us. So, these people they they would rather take unemployment. That that's not good. It's not good. 
we have incentivized a lack of employment. We have incentivized people not working. And that's not going to end well for us. It's not, even though some people think it's a good thing. It's proof we need universal basic income, except it's proof we don't need universal basic income because if we had universal basic income, we would have a bunch of people who wouldn't be producing in society. And where would the money come from? I, out of thin air, I, I guess that's what people, I, I guess they think that the government can just print money, which is essentially what the government's doing. And that's going to have long-term negative impact. When we come back, we need to explore an important question. Can a full moon increase your fever? It's great to have a sponsor of the program that I don't even have to read a script for or anything. You know, they send scripts, but I don't have to have one with Quip because Quip is my toothbrush. It's my wife's toothbrush. It's my daughter's toothbrush. It's now my son's toothbrush. We are a 100% Quip household in our family, and I will tell you why. Because with some of those vibrating, fancy doodad toothbrushes. They're super expensive. You have to take a charger with you. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, the, the brush head size is so big and poorly designed, it doesn't fit in the back of your mouth, so you can't get the back of your mouth and the teeth clean. With the Quip, it is well-designed. You can tell that it's designed by dentists and designers working collaboratively. It's a great toothbrush. If you don't know what the Quip is, it's a battery-powered toothbrush where every three months they send you a new brush head for just five bucks. So you brush head stays, stays clean and in shape. You get a new battery. It's a AAA battery that it works with. And here's the cool thing. It vibrates great to clean your teeth. And every 30 seconds, it pulses so you know to change position in your mouth. And after two minutes, after you've got the dentist-recommended two-minute brushing, it turns itself off. So you don't have to worry about it. There's no fancy charger to carry around or keep up with. You just your toothbrush. And it comes with a great uh, little travel pouch you can put it in. Uh, it's, it's just it's a great design toothbrush. I've used mine for so long. Every time I go to my orthodontist now, I, I have braces. And every time I go to my dentist, he wants to know if I'm using teeth whitener and I'm not. I'm just using my quip twice a day for two minutes, just like Dennis recommend. It is fantastic. It is such a great design. Listen, this sponsor live read is taking longer than it should because I actually do really like my quip toothbrush. It is the best toothbrush I've ever had. And I hope you'll agree. You can go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now and get your first brush head refill pack for free with your quip. That's right. Your first brush head refill pack is free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson, it's get G E T Q U I P.com slash Erickson. It is the good habits company and it is a great toothbrush. Hello there. It's Eric Erickson. And I have a question for you. Can the full moon increase your fever? <laughs> Can you imagine if the president had said this? Oh, I, yes, I'm going to explain to you. But first, the phone number, and you can call in if you want to call in. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. This hour of this year program is brought to you by Dynamic Money. That is my friend Chris Burns. Uh, I'm ready for him to come hang out on my front porch and have a glass of bourbon and, and just talk. We, we, we have it. Um, but he is also my financial advisor, which is the other reason I need him to come down here and convince my wife we need to save money instead of buying guns. She wants to go down to... Um, to what uh, to to Barrow Automotive and buy guns in in Butler, but nonetheless, uh, this hour is sponsored by Dynamic Money. You can go to dynamicmoney.com. Chris Burns can be your financial advisor too. He's actually really good at it, uh, and he also is a good guest host here. Now, I I I have a question for you. This is this is an important question. It is a very important question. Can the moon? Can the full moon cause a fever? I ask this. Well, how do I how do I want to do this? Okay. 
So you know Chris Cuomo on CNN. Let, let, let me let me play you this audio of Chris Cuomo mocking the president. Right. The study was about surfaces, though, and what kind of yeah. light or other type of uh, treatments and different media you could use to affect viruses on surfaces, not in the human body. And the idea of household disinfectants inside the body, I mean, we can't say enough. Nobody was briefed on that. There is no science behind that. The only question is where the president got this or what did he misinterpret? So let's go from, you know, the bizarre uh, to what we know actually happened, in fact, but we're figuring out why. And that goes to Caitlin. Uh, Dr. Rick Bright is the best reckoning still that this was all about him saying things about hydrochloroquine and priorities of the White House, that that's why he was moved? Or is there more to the story now? That's Chris Cuomo who is a host on CNN, who is married to a woman who runs a, a, a health website called Purist. It's a publication, magazine, in print, and online. And she's been outlining his treatments, his, his coronavirus protocol. And one of the things that she notes is that he takes baths with Clorox, bleach baths. Um, has, has the reference been taken down? Clorox. Let's see. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Christina Cuomo. Uh, oh, no. She says she treated her coronavirus with Clorox. Um, yes, uh, the, the, the Clorox baths, uh, wow. Um, yeah. Christina Cuomo says she put half a cup of Clorox in her bath twice a week while she battled coronavirus. It was recommended to her by an energy medicine doctor. So her husband is on television mocking the president for suggesting using Clorox. And she is out there telling people to take baths in bleach because an energy doctor said it. Now, listen, I, I, I have hesitation and qualms with mocking anyone for doing stuff like this to that degree. Um, but she, she outlined on this purist website, she uses someone she calls Dr. Linda Lancaster. Let me let me tell you about Dr. Linda Lancaster. Holy moly, I pulled up this woman. Let's see. Uh, let me go back to yesterday. Where is this? Yes, 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 yes. Dr. Linda Lancaster of Santa Fe. They actually said they, they sent a, a hair sample from Chris Cuomo to Dr. Lancaster. I'm assuming they, they overnighted it. They, they must have overnighted Chris Cuomo's hair sample to, to Dr. Linda Lancaster. Dr. Linda checks a sample of Chris's hair to provide an update and finds he has low protein levels, exhausted adrenals, and high metals, which constrict the immune system. She changes up the homeopathics a bit with the addition of more vitamin C, zinc, adrenal support, hemp, and OSHA cough syrup, baptisia for a low-grade fever, and the addition of more meat to the week's meal plan to mitigate low blood sugar that caused him to be dizzy a few days ago. Now, Dr. Linda Lancaster is a healing and teaching specialist in energy medicines. 
energy medicine people energy medicine yes let me she she's a healing system ba- it's a healing system based on the philosophies of yoga ayurveda anthroposy tcm neuropathy naturopathy and homeopathy oh my goodness it, it, it has recommendations from amanda seafried miranda kerr and robert redford that's right. That's right. It, it is. It is cuckoo for cocoa puffs. It would seem to me. Um, and l- let me read you her bio. She's been doing this since 1987. Celebrities love her. Doctor Linda Lancaster is an energy medicine and homeopathic physician. She's been in practice since 1981 and founded Light Harmonics Institute an energy medicine clinic and educational center based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Her training includes homeopathy, radionics, medical radiesthesia, subtle energy healing, emotional spiritual grief counseling, nutrition, herbal medicine, Ayurveda and detoxification methods. Her health and cleansing programs have been offered to her patients for almost 40 years homeopathic and natural medicine physicians prefer non-invasive treatments which minimize the risks of harmful side effects health or disease comes from a complex interaction of physical emotional mental dietary genetic environmental lifestyle and other factors heavy metals chemicals radiation and parasites all play an important role in the analysis of the health of the patient every illness has an underlying cause which could be from diet and habits of the individual the whole person is considered and taken all of these factors into account an energy medicine physician is trained to find and facilitate removal of the underlying cause of disease to allow for the body's own innate ability to heal. The original meaning of the word doctor is teacher. A principal objective is to educate the patient and emphasize self-responsibility for health. Homeopathic physicians recognize the importance of the doctor-patient relationship. Light Harmonics Institute has been at the forefront in the current trend of the integration of medicines. Many students have trained with Dr. Linda over the past 40 years, and she continues to treat art, to teach art, philosophy, and the understanding of healing. She has treated thousands of patients in almost 40 years of practice and has developed a system of medicine which is now referred to as light harmonics healing. Dr. Lancaster was Yogi Bhajan's personal physician and remained by his side until his passing. Passing, He honored her with the Conscious Healer and Humanitarian Award in 2002. In an effort to create peace and healing, Dr. Linda founded the Global Foundation for Integrative Medicines, and is the current GFIM president. Wait, so hang on a second. So she founded a foundation, and surprise, she's the current medicine. This is who Chris Cuomo's wife has been consulting with for him. No, I just, I gotta, I need to put this in perspective for you. It's not my intent to be insulting here. It's my intent to point out that you've got this where where they, they say such things as, hang on, let me Google the word moon, because yes, here it is. Uh, Monday, April 6th, Chris's fever is 99 with an afternoon spike to 101.5 and an evening spike 
aggravated by full moon. Uh, y'all, y'all, come on now. It, okay, question, question. I have a question. I have a question. I'll calm down. I'll do the light illumination energy. Oh, call me my body to ask the question. If the president of the United States stood up in the press briefing and said, we need to tap into our light energy to cure the virus, forget UV, just our light energy. If we tapped into our light energy to cure the virus, and by the way, there's a full moon coming, so fevers are going to spike. What do you think the press would say? What do you think the American press corps would say? And yet we've got an anchor on CNN who's been treated this way. Oh, my goodness. I, uh, by the way, thanks to Robert Downey Jr. for sending something. that they, they, they got a name drop. Robert, I guess they're friends. Oh, my goodness. Uh, y'all, yes, thanks to Robert Downey Jr. for the additional natural remedies like lithoceric vitamin C and B packets and lung cleansing formulas. <sighs> um, I, listen, I, 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 I don't mean to be insulting to a family trying to find something, but here's the thing. Chris Cuomo goes on television and mocks the president for suggesting bleach is a treatment for the, the, for the virus, and his wife is admitting she's putting Clorox in the bathtub to fight the infection, and Chris Cuomo himself is doing this sort of stuff. Let me just read you some of this. About Dr. Linda, we are using a few herbs that we know are antiviral. Some antiviral medications can suppress the immune system, but we're using known herbs that boost the immune system. There is some truth in that. Dr. Linda kept her eye on what was happening in Italy. She's Italian. She got ahead of the curve with the help of her herbologist son and started sending patients immune formulas to keep their immune system in shape. She also created a different formula for those who had already contracted the virus by adding antivirals. The main one is andrographis, a Chinese herb used for flu and viruses. Chris is also taking anti-inflammatories like curcumin, which is found in turmeric. The other part of the protocols are vitamins like vitamin C, 6,000 uh, mLG a day, which oxygenates the blood. It's an alkalizing C, which is easy to digest. We're giving him minerals like zinc. It is synergistic to what Dr. Linda prescribed for Chris, and it helps with his cough. On top of this is homeopathy, which works according to the symptom picture Potentize quinine is derived from the non-toxic bark of Peruvian-grown quinine plants. It's a natural antibiotic. It is not on the market here. Dr. Linda's made it in her lab for 40 years, and I took this for my Lyme disease, the medicine Plaquenol, which made doctor many doctors are using. It's quinine. Wait a second. Wait a second. You mean it's it's like it's like hydrochloroquine, hydrochloroquine, quinine? What? There, she's giving him, the, uh, it's an anti-malarial medicine. She, I thought Chris Cuomo said people shouldn't be doing that. 
That's that's the point here is the hypocrisy of it. I don't mean to mock a man and his wife for trying to find a treatment for the virus, but it's it's hypocritical. You're blasting the president for talking about bleach and your wife is bathing in bleach. You're doing some sort of quinine derivative while you're blasting the president for uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, which are also in the same quinine derivative families. Just what? And then it's a universal protocol and everyone has different symptoms. Visit a Chinese herbologist. He wants to go on TV and blast the audacity of the American healthcare system. And meanwhile, he's using a Chinese herbologist. There's just, there's a level of, of why are rich people so damn weird? I mean, at the bottom line, I'm sorry. I, I that, that will offend some of you that I said it that way, but come on. You, you see rich people's houses and like archite- architectural digests and you're like, nobody should live like that. That looks so uncomfortable. You must have a corn cob up your butt. And then you find out, well, you go to your doctor and, and you get your medicine. I'm going to my Chinese herbologist and my light energy guru in New Mexico who's going to realign my chakra or something. I just, none of it makes any sense. And yet you're on TV blasting the president for similar things. And you got a wife who's saying that the full moon caused a fever spike. At least have some sense of proportion here in your outrage if we're going to do that. All right. To the phones we go. 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Alan, thank you for waiting patiently. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. I met you not too long ago coming out of the SNS on Riverside Drive. Yes. I remember. I think I was coming out. I was eating there, and um, we have to get takeout now. But anyway, yeah. to, make, to make a long story short, I was going to get to my point. Um, Andrew Cuomo, not too long ago, had said that if you're pro-life, uh, he may have mentioned traditional marriage, and if you're pro-Second Amendment, then you don't belong in his state. He doesn't want you there. And I thought to myself, can you imagine if Brian Kemp or some Republican governor or conservative had reversed that and tried to say that, you wouldn't belong in our state. What would the media be doing? <laughs> oh, that, totally eating, eating, eating them alive. Um, it, the hypocrisy there and how the media covers this, it, it goes very much like to the media outrage. And by the way, I'm, I'm getting some blowback from some friends of mine who are in the media today. Thanks, Alan, for the phone call. It, it, because I'm, I'm saying that, you know, the president was not actually out there telling people to inject bleach or swallow UV bulbs. He was saying the doctors were going to look into it, and the media's like, oh, people are going to try it. People are going to try it. Somebody's going to try it. Somebody somebody drank the somebody drank the, 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 the fish tank cleaner. And, you know, the, the Washington Free Beacon has an interesting story today about that, that a lot of the friends of the guy are wondering if he was Carol Baskind. <laughs> if you know, you know we're not going to go there. There's a very interesting story about the guy in Arizona who drank the, the, the fish aquarium cleaner. Um, allegedly because the president of the United States said that uh, chloroquine uh, could might uh, be able to, to cure this. He didn't have it and drank it and died. His wife was in uh, serious critical condition. She gave it to him, and uh, some people are raising questions about the whole thing. He apparently was a very smart, highly competent engineer. So there's a problem there. By the way, I, I, I told you I was going to do this. I, I, I told you at the beginning of the show today I was going to do this all show. If you need PPP, go to firstlibertyga.com because uh, they got the people, they got the staff, and you can apply online with 
firstlibertyga.com. You'll see an apply now button at the top of the site. Uh, go on and get in the queue if you can. They can't make a guarantee. They cannot guarantee it, but they'll do what they can. Have you all heard about these plaques that are popping up over Atlanta? Um, I, I personally found it hysterical. And, and of course, they're being called racist. Uh, of course, they're being called racist. It is a picture of Winnie the Pooh holding a bat. And it says uh, Wuhan plague on it. And it happened some shop owner in, in one of the hipster areas of Atlanta screaming racism because it happened on her store. They don't know who are putting these plaques up. Winnie the Pooh, Chinese protesters, Chinese, Chinese people, Chinese protesters have been using Winnie the Pooh as an image to represent uh, the dictator of China, uh, Xi. They use Winnie. They they claim he looks kind of like Winnie the Pooh, and so they use Winnie the Pooh's image. Someone has been going around town with the Wuhan plague or on the plaque, and it's Winnie the Pooh eating a bat instead of a honey Winnie the Pooh with his hand in a honey jar. It's Winnie the Pooh eating a bat, and they've been showing up in Atlanta now. In the last three or four days, nobody knows who's doing them. They're, they're, somebody's putting them out in broad daylight. They know somebody's putting them in broad daylight because one of the, the restaurateurs who found it on the side of their business, the, the adhesive was fresh. Someone had just applied it and taken off. They don't know who did it, though. Can't figure it out. But the media is screaming, this is racist. This is racism. Calling it the Wuhan plague. This is racism. Winnie the Pooh eating a bat, that's racist. What does a Disney character eating a bat have to do with race, particularly when the caricature of Winnie the Pooh as, as uh, President Xi came from Chinese people? Are the Chinese people racist? Our American media has lost its mind. And, you know, the, the person who this happened to, hang on, let, let's see if I can find this. Vice, Winnie the Pooh, racism. See if I can find this article. Um, it, it's just, it, it's so silly. It is so, so silly um, that they're, they're doing the story. Yes, here it is. Racist plaques depicting Winnie the Pooh holding a bat with chopsticks have begun to pop up in Atlanta. The police have no idea. And, and the store owner who found it is just great. Oh, it's such, we got so much racism with that guy in the white house and, the adhesive still wet. It happened. It's not amusing, funny, politically incorrect, edgy, or punk rock. It is super effing gross and racist. There's enough xenophobia and ignorance being spouted from this administration. We certainly don't need street art reinforcing this blankety blank. Oh, my goodness gracious. It, it, the Chinese themselves chose this image to protest China. Uh, why is that racist for others to use? By the way, uh, 11 Alive in Atlanta reporting Georgia has nearly doubled the number of testing sites in 10 days. Uh, the National Guard has ramped up their own testing sites. I, I have something. I have the the uh, FAQ, the FAQ, the Frequently Asked Questions, about the governor's uh, new executive order to allow businesses to reopen. I have digested the governor's order. Y'all, it is going to be virtually impossible for businesses to reopen under the governor's reopening order. Let me, all businesses, establishments, corporations, nonprofits, and organizations that are subject to minimum basic operation restrictions 
shall implement measures which mitigate the exposure and spread of COVID-19 if they want to open. What are minimum basic operations? The minimum necessary activities to maintain the value of a business, establishment, corporation, nonprofit corporation, or organization, provide services, manage inventory, ensure security, process payroll and employee benefits, or for related functions and such minimal necessary activities include remaining open to the public, subject to the restrictions of this order. The minimum necessary activities to facilitate employees or volunteers being able to work remotely from their residences or members or patrons being able to participate remotely and instances where employees and working outdoors without regular contact with other persons, such as delivery services, contracts, landscape, businesses, agricultural industry. Um, So here's what we have. Gyms, fitness centers, bowling alleys, body art studios, barbers, cosmetologists, hair designers, nail care artists, estheticians, and their respective schools and massage therapists can begin engaging in minimum basic operations. This means the businesses can open to the public on a limited basic sub- basis subject to restrictions. Shelter-in-place orders will still apply. Minimum basic operations are activities to maintain the value of the business, provide services, manage inventory, ensure security, process payroll. Now, all of these things have to be done. It is a shall. If you want to open your business in Georgia, starting today, and you are a gym, a fitness center, a bowling alley, a body art studio, a barber, a cosmetologist, a hair designer, a nail care artist, an esthetician, uh, or a massage therapist, you can open, but this is what you have to do. You shall screen and evaluate workers who exhibit signs of illness, such as a fever over 100.4 degrees. You shall require workers who exhibit signs of illness to not report to work. You shall enhance sanitation. You shall require hand washing or sanitation by workers. You shall provide personal protective equipment as available and appropriate. You shall prohibit gatherings of workers during work hours. You shall uh, permit workers to take breaks and meals outside. You shall implement teleworking as possible. You shall implement, implement staggered shifts. You shall hold meetings virtually. You shall deliver intangible services remotely. You shall discourage workers from using each other's phones. You shall prohibit handshaking. You shall place notices that encourage hand hygiene at the entrances. You shall suspend personal identification number pads. You shall enforce social distancing for retailers and service providers. Providing for alternative points of sale outside of the business must be done. You shall increase physical space between workers and customers. You shall provide disinfectant and sanitation products for workers. You shall increase physical space between workers' work sites by at least six feet. Now, here's the other question here. Can healthcare facilities conduct elective surgeries? Well, Georgia healthcare facilities are better positioned to secure necessary PPE to presume elective surgeries. Given recent modeling related to surge capacity, uh, they, they can do so. What about places of worship? Well, places of worship are allowed to go back to to meeting, but, but nothing has ever prevented them from doing it. Let, let Let me give you, these are the best practices for religious services. 
Places of worship and religious institutions need to tailor their guidelines to reflect specific needs and resources. So online call-in or drive-in services remain the best option. Do not attend religious services if you're, unfeel- if you're feeling unwell or have a fever or have had direct contact with someone who has or is likely to have had COVID-19. No idea how you'd know. Throughout the service, you must maintain at least six feet behind the person, between the person in front and behind you and to each side of you. Family members are allowed to sit together. Masks or cloth coverings to mitigate the spread of the virus should be worn. Depending on the size of the congregation, additional services may be necessary to achieve at least six feet between non-cohabitating members of the church service. When members arrive, they must immediately be seated. When a service ends, rows must be emptied sequentially with everyone immediately going to their vehicles. No loitering for conversation. You must refrain from using items touched by multiple people unless you can sanitize after each use. For example, in lieu of offering plates, use drop boxes. If you closed nurseries, childcare, Sunday school classes, or related functions prior to shelter in place, keep them closed. Medically fragile and elderly Georgians should shelter in place and not go to in-person services. And choir and choir practice should be canceled. They will not require it to be canceled, but should be canceled. The shelter in place order is still active. It expires at 11.59 p.m. on April 30th for most Georgians. Medically fragile and elderly Georgians should plan to continue sheltering in place until May 13th. The governor's office encourages everyone to follow the CDC and Georgia Department of Public Health guidelines to prevent and spread the virus. The CDC is telling people, don't listen to the governor of Georgia. Don't do anything. Stay home. Now, let me give you the parameters of the governor's order. Again, shelter in place is still in effect until May 1st. Restaurants and dining rooms of private social clubs will be allowed to reopen on a limited basis on April 27th, subject to new restrictions. Theaters will be permitted to engage in minimum basic operations, subject to new restrictions. Bars, nightclubs, amusement park ride operators, live performance venues, they still got to be closed until May 13th. The reality is that nothing's really changing between now and, and yesterday. And the reality is, overwhelmingly, businesses are not actually going to change. The reality is, you're probably not going to be able to go to the business you want to go to today because they're going to be closed. You know, my gyms stay closed. Most I, I don't know of any gyms that are opening today. My gym is going to stay closed until the middle of May. Your gym probably is too, if you have one. I could use a barbell, by the way. I'm tired of the dumbbells. I got enough dumbbells in my life. Watching the White House press briefings and the reporters asking questions, there are too many dumbbells out there. But your gym's not going to open. By the way, the movie theaters aren't going to open. I got a text from a bowling alley that our family goes to that said that given the parameters by which the governor says they can open, they can't open. So who's actually going to open under this order? There will be some businesses that try. Most of them won't. Most restaurants won't. 
But it, how will the businesses try? Well, pretty straightforward. Right now, well, not today, yesterday. Yesterday it was against the law. You, you, you know a lady who styles hair and she does it out of her house. Yesterday it was against the law for her to have you in her house to do it. Today it is not. You know where your friends today, it's not, I know people who've gotten black market haircuts in the past week, Philip, and today it's not against the law. <laughs> teasing, teasing, teasing. My wife cut my child's hair. It is, is, um, Philip's wife cut his hair. It's not really black market, but still actually competent jobs on all accounts. And yesterday where if they were, let's see, this is the bizarre part. If they were licensed, arguably it was against the law, but today it's not. And that's the point of the governor's order is there are barbers out there. There are massage therapists out there who know their clients. Their clients know them. They have a relationship. And yesterday it was against the law for them to help. Yesterday it was against the law for them to give the massage or the haircut. Today it's not. What's really going to change between now and next month? An even more slow-spreading virus? I hope that's a good thing. We should be rooting for it to slow down even more. It looks like it may have picked up a little bit of steam in Georgia. It's, it's still it's still pretty slow. But we should be rooting for the governor to find a path forward, I think. Now, let's see. Have we? Do we have any updates from the Department of Health? I'm trying to find the department. The you know the Department of Health it it um it updates its website every day at noon and six p.m. But lately it's been posting its numbers a little early. But today they're not doing that, so we're still holding at twenty one thousand eight hundred eighty three cases. I got a question for you, and feel free to call in if you want eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I'm sorry, I gave that too fast. 877-973-7425. Do you know of a business that's opening? There are some head there are some places that are. In fact, they're here, let me give you the story out of the AJC. They needed a trim and couldn't wait any longer. For the first time in weeks, some metro area hair salons and barbershops are opening and the lines are starting. The first phase has begun. At Peachtree Battle Barbershop in Buckhead, customers waited in line shortly after 7 a.m. I certainly don't want to spread it to anyone, so I've got a mask, but I'm not really concerned. If you're cutting hair or you're a waiter, you haven't been working, so it helps get the economy started. At Studio 151 in Dallas, Georgia, the first appointments were at 6.30 a.m., according to the salon's owner. A sign on the door spelled out protocols, including those required by the state and additional measures to keep everyone safe. While receiving a shampoo service, we'll place a clean folded towel over your face to cover your eyes, nose, and mouth. But despite that, it's not business as usual. Social distancing is in place. Employees have to wear masks. Not all employees are opening. Some gyms did. LA Fitness decided it wasn't the right time to open the door after people threatened to boycott them, by the way. But some people are. Is it not their choice at this point? Listen. If the virus was, if the rate of the virus was above one, we probably would need to shelter in place. When the governor made his order, it looked like the virus was below one in the rate of transmission. One is the rate at which it it begins to spread in community. Right now, after some of the revised data, we are right at 1.00. We heard the White House say yesterday 
that warm weather will slow the growth of the virus and sunshine will kill it. And you know what? It's We're having warmer weather. The high tomorrow in Georgia is 84 degrees, at least in Macon. The high tomorrow in Atlanta or in Athens is 81 degrees. In Atlanta, it's going to be 79 degrees tomorrow. Down in South Georgia in Valdosta, the high on Saturday is going to be 86. Why not let people get out and enjoy the sunshine at this point? Stay home for everything except the emergency. Stay home for everything except the necessities. Don't go out. We're not going out. And again, you know, I, 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 there are a lot of people who are saying to me, I can see them blowing up right now. People mad at me for defeating the governor for reopening. I, I've said all along, I would have waited a week or two. I'd have absolutely waited a week or two. And I would have spent the next two weeks explaining why we're getting close, why we're getting close, what we're looking for. And I would have called local officials and I would have said, it looks like we're on the cusp. Here's what we're thinking of putting in place. Give me some input. I I, I think there was a, a, I think the governor's office should have gotten more buy-in from, from relevant people. And he didn't do that. And I think it's to their, I think it's to their detriment. They should have gotten political buy-in from the mayor of Atlanta and some of the other mayors. At the very least, they should have Kathleen Toomey out defending the decision and not the governor. And there are, I'm waiting for people to point out that it's notable she hasn't come out to defend the decision because there will be people who seek to do very much like her, uh, what they've done to Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci, trying to distance her from the governor. I understand why the governor did it. I don't fault the governor for doing it. You and your barber probably have a better relationship than you and your spouse. I, I don't blame the governor for doing it, but I wouldn't go out. My barber's not reopening yet. He says it's too soon. My gym's not opening yet. They, they, he's, he, my trainer says it's too soon. My favorite local restaurant is not reopening yet. He says it's too soon. And I think that's going to be the prevailing sentiment for most people. Uh, a, a leader leads, but you also need people to follow you. And that's another reason why I think the governor should have waited is because when no one follows him, it looks like no one respects him as a leader. I think he should have spent a week making sure people are on board, getting buy-in from local officials. Because, you know, we're not really hearing a lot of people stand up and say, let's do it. A lot of the local officials who have been supportive of the governor haven't stood up and said, let's go. Some are. The Forsyth County area, they're, they're good. The, the Cherokee County area, the you got a lot of them. Uh, the Monroe County area in Middle Georgia, they're good too. But not a whole lot. It should have probably been another week. But it's done now. And by the way, as I just covered, when you go through the actual requirements, when you, when you go through the list, it's almost impossible for your business to open up anyway, unless you're going to be doing temperature checks of all your employees and stuff. It's almost impossible to do. But at least it does give the small businessman a fighting chance, a fighting chance to say, I've wiped through my savings. I can't get PPP. I can't get unemployment. I didn't get a stimulus check because I made too much money last year. So at least give me a chance now to reopen my business and see if I can do what I can do to make my customers feel comfortable to come in. And I don't blame the governor of Georgia for doing that at all. You know, one of the other dumb things that happened yesterday with the, the idiots in the press, a reporter from the Washington Post Pointed out that the so the the, the study y'all again I, I'm this I have to watch my language. I don't know if you knew this or not. 
but sunshine and rubbing alcohol are disinfectants. I Did you not know that? I mean, honestly, do you not have a mama? I remember when I was little getting injured and, and either having Tishner's antiseptic or, or alcohol and put on a wound. Oh, you'd have to start blowing before you put it on. My kid right now, uh, it fell off his, um, it fell off a, a scooter the other day and, and scraped up his leg real bad. And, and it was, it was dirty outside and had to clean the wound. And oh, you could hear the cry. I've got soundproof doors and I could hear him screaming. Rubbing alcohol burns in an open wound. And every single one of you knows that. Because every single one of you have had an experience where you've had to clean a wound, you've had to put disinfectant on, you've had to make sure a cut didn't get infected, and it burns. And we got reporters out there thinking that this is something new and novel and none of you have ever known that a disinfectant kills a virus. I've got I, I got a bottle of hand sanitizer right here. Purell hand sanitizer. Kills 99.99% of most illness-causing germs. A refreshing gel, it says. Let's see. Kills 99% of most common germs that cause illnesses. Let's see. Based on a comparison study using 1.75 milliliters of Purell Advanced, it kills most viruses and bacteria. Well, my goodness, I didn't know it had an expiration date on it. I just saw that. It expires in 2022. Any of you who have been washing with soap and water or hand sanitizer knows disinfectants, clear things. Uh, any of you have ever had to use bleach spray, knows bleach. And, and reporters are like, well, I, I declare, I did not know. So you got a reporter yesterday that they talk about isopropyl alcohol can kill the virus in 30 seconds. Alcohol, rubbing alcohol, kills the virus quicker than bleach. And a reporter went on and put up a screenshot of Amazon.com of uh, alcohol, and it was $2,500 on Amazon or something like that. What she excluded from the picture is that that was a literal barrel of alcohol, like a 90-gallon drum of alcohol was over $2,000, and she was trying to imply that the president caused the price of it. By talking about alcohol at the White House press briefing, the president caused it to skyrocket. The reporters are being malicious here. If they're not going to treat this situation fairly, why can they expect others to treat them fairly? Why can Chris Cuomo bash the president for suggesting bleach as a disinfectant when his wife is bathing in bleach as a disinfectant? None of it makes any sense. It's all hypocrisy.